Welcome to the first ever episode of the UK Franchising Podcast. This episode, we talked to Mike Smith, one of the UK's leading franchise consultants. We talked about the state of franchising in the UK, as well as franchise opportunities and what to look for in a franchise consultant. We hope you enjoy this first episode of UK Franchising. If you do, please like and share. Hopefully there's a lot more of these to come. Here's episode one. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Mike Smith. I'm Regional Director for Lime Licensing. Franchise consultancy is two things, basically. First of all, it's getting a business franchise ready. So that's ensuring things like legals, their IP, uh, and everything to do with the business is on a good legal footing. And then working out territories, uh, contracts, and all the other important things. Uh, But the main part of my business is marketing franchises. So once we've got them to that level, then it's time to set them up and market them. Um, And what sort of businesses do you work with? I work with all sorts of businesses, uh, but the business has to pass my specific criteria before we will take them on. And it's about a 12-point set of questions that have to be answered. Because if they're not answered, I'm looking from the franchisee's point of view, because if they can't answer those questions, it means the business isn't going to be successful. And one of the biggest questions is, can you market your business in Carlisle, Cardiff or Cambridge? So it doesn't really matter where the franchisee is. And I have a rule of thumb, and that rule of thumb is called food on the table. Can the franchisee put food on the table for him and his family and continue to do so. And that is one of the biggest tests. And that encompasses many things, training, it encompasses the product itself, what USPs have they got, what is the marketplace like, is it resilient, how how easy would it be for someone else to come into the marketplace and compete. So all these important questions need to be answered before I waste the time of the franchisor and then upset any franchisees that come on board only to find that they can't work in the business or they can't get business for themselves in wherever geography they are in the UK. Um, and what sort of, what percent of businesses come to you franchise ready? Is, or is there a lot of work that you have to do with them before they're ready to franchise? Uh, most businesses aren't franchise ready, but the the task of getting them franchise ready, to be quite honest, is not that difficult. And if you follow um, certain procedures and you do everything correctly, then you can have them up and running and ready uh, for marketing probably in six to eight weeks' time. But we tend to run that concurrently anyway. So our digital marketing teams will get on with the, the marketing side of things and we will plough through the legal requirements and dot the I's and cross the T's. Uh, what's some examples of um, things you've had to do to get a franchise ready? One of the biggest things is always registering their IP. Their IP is basically the trademark. The majority of UK businesses don't even know they need to register the trademark. So XYZ Limited have a website called xyz.co.uk and they think they own XYZ. The reality is they don't and anybody can register that trademark. Um, And if they do register the trademark, then they can ask your customer, Mr XYZ, to cease and desist. 
and basically can put him out of business. So what we do is ensure the legality around the IP is is very well defined and that it covers all aspects of the business because it's not just what the business is called, it's what that business and what that trademark actually do. So we register for them all the relevant services. The legal side of it, we work alongside solicitors to make sure that we've got the right agreement in place for the franchise or, and then all the other things around <coughs> territory training and everything else, we help map it out for them. And of of course, the big thing in franchising is the ops manual. We don't write the ops manual for them. I don't believe you can write the ops manual for, for a business you don't really understand. It's all in their, their, either in their brains, in their computer or somewhere. And to be quite honest, most ops manuals can be written with the information that most businesses have because they already have procedures and processes. And it's just a question of documenting, be it on just written video, podcast, whatever. It doesn't matter as long as there is something there that the franchisee can relate to and pick up from either a training perspective, a safety perspective, or just a, a, a business business process perspective. Um, what do you look for in, what are your sort of, what's your ideal franchisor look like in terms of working relation, in terms of, you know, getting them, like finding the right person that can sort of take that take their business and grow it into a national franchise i i think i'm always looking for ambition within the franchise or himself it needs to be somebody that i can get on with and ultimately that franchisees can get on with uh, the franchise contract agree stroke agreement is very notably geared towards the franchisor. So it's very important that any franchisee should be able to talk to the franchisor and discuss things sensibly. And part of that is being able to get on with people. And that is the biggest thing for me. If they tick all the boxes in the checklist that I just ran through, then that's fine. Um, but equally, I don't want to be working with Attila the Hun or somebody else like that. So, you know, I'm particularly careful as to who I work with mm -hmm. one of your most successful franchisors is uh, snag doctor what's he doing right to get him to the point where now i think is over 25 <coughs> franchisees john and chris are fantastic uh, they've put together an absolutely superb business uh their their whole methodology is around quality 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 and it took them a long time to decide to franchise and that time was based on the fact that they wanted to put together a very intensive training course that meant when the guys came out to training that they could do the work to the, exactly the same standard of all the guys that Chris and John employ. And that was really important that they could satisfy themselves for that. They have done, the franchisees have come out, have walked straight into jobs with major house builders and it's a business that is growing both in terms of new territories and also franchisees taking additional territories, which is always good. We know that we know that they're already good at what they do and they're happy to take on additional geographies to be able to expand the business. And it's, 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 it's a business that be, can be scaled 
to be a significant business, you know, a million pound business I can see happening very quickly with one of the territories. We've already got one of the franchisees, well, they're actually partners who've bought three territories and they're potentially looking to buy a fourth. So it's a great business is really the bottom line. Um, and just for con- just for some context, Snag Doctor is a surface repair specialist company, right? Yeah. Fab. And then I guess talking about other franchisors that are doing well, uh, <coughs> what's how's Active Future doing recently, and and what does that look like, and what's that franchise about? Active Future is an incredible franchise in so much as. It really does something for the community, and particularly for children and young teenagers in the community. It's all about getting kids active. And Matt Goodman, who runs Active Future, is a great character. Uh, He's also absolutely committed, and he's committed to the point where he wants to get a million kids active every single week and I absolutely assure you that this guy will do it because he's just absolutely brilliant. He had a very successful futsal franchise um, about three or four years ago that he built up over nine years. He decided that he was doing kids a real disservice. The kids like football came, the ones that were good stayed and the rest he didn't even see. So he's come up with this fabulous concept of free play um, and to the point now where he's doing a doctorate in that very subject at Newcastle University and it basically allows all kids to come and move and enjoy movement without prescriptive sports, competitive sports and the outcome of all of that is that all of the franchisees have got huge waiting lists. He's also been brought into the HAF programme, which is the Holiday Activity and Food Fund. And all of the franchisees are getting substantial amounts, up to £100,000 to run HAF programmes that run through Easter, summer and Christmas and half terms for kids that, that don't pay for school meals. Uh, And that is something that's guaranteed for three years. In addition to that, he's also been been appointed one of the delivery partners for Premier PE. And that's the government, again, trying to get kids active by saying that all primary schools must give PE lessons to kids, which is brilliant. Um, Most of them don't have any PE teachers. I think it's about 93%. So what the government are allowing them to do is outsource PE to people like Active Future, and there aren't many delivery partners around that can do it on a national basis. Um, And potentially that's worth £25,000 per primary school. And typically a franchisee could have 30 or 40 primary schools in their territory. So it's, it's it's become a big business. Commercially, it's a decent sized business and can grow. And it's appealing to owner operators but also it's appealing to business people because the great thing about this business is the people that are do, who are actually looking after the kids and organising the after-school activities and the holiday activities are undergraduates who are doing uh, physical science degrees, sports science degrees, outdoor leadership. And these guys need supervisory hours under the belt. So, you know, that, so it adds to their CV and it helps them get jobs. So you've got a never ending supply of really good, well-motivated staff, you know, which in this day and age is 
really quite important. And at the moment, we're growing Active Future by eight to 12 uh, territories per month. So it really has captured the imagination. But to be honest, it's a bit of a perfect storm. Post-pandemic, with more obesity, the government are really getting behind this, this push to get kids active and to reduce obesity and potential diabetes and everything else that comes with it. And uh, how, how important do you think that North Star of a million kids a week uh, active is? And do you think that more franchisors should take on board what he's, what he's done and uh, decided on this big lofty end goal and then kind of run in that direction? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can't say what whether franchisees should have very high goals, but the great thing about this and Matt is that the goal is not to get a million pounds in his bank every week. It's to get a million kids active. Now, if we transpose that to the point where we know that most kids give up activity at the age of 16, if we can just get 10% of those kids moving through activity into their early 20s and 30s, then, you know, that will be a massive reduction in early deaths, diabetes, obesity and everything else. So, you know, I think Matt is a very special case. And whilst, yeah, it's great for people to have goals, I think this is a very special goal. And I think it's it's a legacy for Matt, which will be applauded in years to come because, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. And it's great for me and, and for the team to be associated with somebody like Active Future, where it's not all about the problem. Profit, you know, and this is a guy that isn't currently taking any management fees for the first year, and it's a very low franchise fee. So he's doing everything right, and he's doing it for absolutely the right reasons, and that's the kit. So I can't knock the guy at all. Mad as a box of frogs, but a great guy. And um, I suppose you're talking to all these franchisees that are sort of buying into the franchise. What is it that they're being turned on by when you're talking to them about the opportunity? What in particular is really sort of getting them to invest in an active future franchise? I think first and foremost, people are coming to us because they have the kids' interest at heart. All of them have got a story to tell about their own kids, nieces and nephews, who can't get into after-school clubs or don't have wraparound care during school holidays. So all of them share that, that the, the whole ethos that kids need to be active. And I think without that, it's, it's not a franchise somebody should go into. And certainly Matt wouldn't be interested in talking to them. But they also see the value of the business. I mean, we're talking substantial amounts of government funding, you know, up in, into hundreds of thousands now. We're talking about funds of 370 and 250 million. So this is a substantial amount of money coming into a business that is all about the welfare of kids. And, you know, if that's not the perfect storm, I don't know what is. But, you know, it, it's got to appeal to people that have the kids' well, welfare at heart because without that, they're, they're in the wrong position. So to kind of change the topic a bit, what does the franchise industry look like in the UK today in terms of franchising? consultancy I think as far as franchise consultancy is concerned it's very much a mixed bag um, I don't believe it's a great industry I don't think it's a very honest industry um, and there's a lot of shady characters around 
in the franchise world. Uh, I personally was taken by a franchise consultant who purported to be able to sell franchises and just totally ripped me off. It's how I got into this in the first place. And the reality is that there are a lot of people who are keen to franchise their business. But in reality, their businesses aren't franchisable. But it doesn't stop a franchise consultant coming along and charging them seven, twelve, twenty thousand pounds, whatever it is, to actually develop the franchise and then not sell any, or even worse, sell to a few unsuspecting franchisees who then have to learn how to market the business in their area. And it becomes an absolute mess. The problem with it is that all franchise contracts, whether it's consultants to franchisors or franchisors to franchisees, are all weighted towards the consultant and the franchisor. So unless it's the other way around where you've got a franchisor and a consultant where the consultant is always going to win. So it's not a great industry. Uh, the depth of ability is relatively small from what I've seen. And the standard of marketing is pretty appalling. Uh, most people will maybe put together a website, possibly produce a very small prospectus, you know, and maybe do a couple of emails. The reality is that people are often leaving a job, possibly well paid. Uh, they're certainly retraining. It could be the first time that they've gone into self-employment. And they're often, often borrowing quite a lot of money. So the reality is you're not going to do that by not understanding what the business is about. And I firmly believe that this is an information-driven business. It's not a sales business. People have to have the right information to make the right decisions for them and for their families. And it's not something you can sell somebody or would want to sell somebody. We're dealing with families' livelihoods. We're dealing with kids. And it's important that they understand what they're getting into without somebody like me actually selling to them. But what I do do is give them lots of information that allows them to make an educated decision. And we don't chase people. People come to us once they've had that information. They'll book a call with me, and that call will be a very meaningful call, a grown-up call where we discuss things in detail that they now understand because they've gone from that point of, oh, that looks interesting too. Actually, I want to talk to someone who's at the pointy end on this and, and have, a, have a better look before I talk to the franchisor. So that's, that's what it's about. I think there's a, there's a, there's a lack of depth. Uh, there's certainly a lack of quality information that's going out there. And, you know, without that, I don't believe that anybody should make any reasonable decision about, about buying a franchise because it is such an important event. And how do you sort of weed out these sort of uh, bad eggs or bad apples um, in the franchise consultancy industry? What sort of things should someone, uh, what sort of things should someone be looking for if they're wanting to franchise the business and what should they um in their franchise consultant and what should they be looking out for as a sort of negative? I personally think it's very easy to understand what to look for. The reality is that if you come to somebody like me and I'm looking after probably eight to nine brands at the moment, 
ask to talk to each of those brands. I'm happy for anybody to talk to any of my franchisors and my franchisors will all say the same thing. You know, I do what I say I'm going to do. I sell territories for each of the brands. They've all been put together incredibly well. They have a, a huge amount of information to go out to franchisees. And I think generally that's what you need to do. Look at the track record of the franchisor and also talk to him about who he turns down because that's as important as, as how many people he takes on and who he takes on. Because the likelihood is if you're not selling franchises or the franchisor isn't happy, you shouldn't have franchised him in the first place. And, 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 and that is fact. So that is the best way to wheedle out, just talk to people who've been associated with them and not the list they send you. You want to know everybody they've dealt with in the last year or so. And, and, and if they're not open about it, then the likelihood is that they're hiding something. So common sense, really. Mm-hmm. And I suppose uh, you have no interest in a franchise or that's not going to sell franchises because that's not actually where you're making the money. You're making the money off selling the franchises and uh, earning that commission. So I suppose also they'd want to look at just an, an, a simple list of the franchisors and how many franchisees each franchisor has. That's also probably a good way to look. Yeah, right. of course. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's two, there's, there's two levels to this. There's the franchisees and the franchisors. If the franchisor doesn't have a proposition and a good value proposition that isn't right for the franchisees, he's not going to sell any. And if he eventually sells one or two, the franchisee isn't going to be happy. They are both going to be unhappy with me. So the reality is I'm not going to take on anybody where I can't sell franchises. I make my money from selling franchise territories. Purely and simply, that's the way it works. It would be very easy for me, particularly with my track record, to take on any franchisor and you know make tens of thousands of pounds per month and not sell franchises. The legal agreement covers me completely. I'm not any jeopardy or any any legal risk, but you know you've got to have some morals in in any part of life, and without ethics and morals, then you're absolutely nothing. That's supposedly the difference between us and animals. Although I do wonder some days. So, uh, what would you like to see um, other franchise consultants change about their practices in the UK? It, it's quite simple. First and foremost, do not take on everybody that throws money on your table. You know, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to take easy money. But the reality is you're not doing the franchisors any favours. And if you take if they take on franchisees who don't succeed, then, you know, that's another family's life messed up. So first and foremost, they've got to do that. Then put the work in understand the business, understand the market, understand the metrics, the the accounts and everything else. How is that going to impact on the franchisee? If you don't give them the information and, and set it out before them, they're not going to find that. So that is very much part of our role. And if you can 
get that from the franchisor and work with him to develop that, then you know the franchisor is going to do a good job. And, you know, any franchisor that is happy to give that information, I'm happy to work with once they've passed that criteria. But you can't just get, gloss over what the business does and would you like to join? And if you join, you're going to make a million pounds because that's, that's not what it's about. You know, these, these people who are going into... A business that they probably have to build quite sequentially, and we need to tell them how they can achieve that. We're not in the get get rich business, you know. No one's going to buy a, a, a franchise that makes a million pounds year one, but we are in the business where we can build substantial businesses that can get to those sort of levels. But we have to manage people's expectations and show them the reality of how they would get there. And it's very important. And it's one of the reasons why I always encourage franchisors to have discovery days or meet up with individual potential franchisees, because you can get a lot more from a franchisor face-to-face than you can through somebody like me, even through all the information we give. You can ask the questions. And, and that, again, is what franchising is all about. It's getting those unasked questions, because often people don't ask because they think they're going to be found to be stupid. And if we can answer all the unasked questions and then answer all the questions that are asked, then we're really doing our job. But I like to look at what these people are worried about and what's going to affect them and answer those up front as, as much as I can. And if you do that, you give people a full understanding, warts and all, of what they're about to get into. Um, so these unasked, unasked questions, I can imagine they're quite important and that they might be quite repeatable per franchise or that you work with. What are, the, what are the, some of the big unasked questions that people have? The biggest by a million miles is marketing. How do I get my business? How do I get leads? How do I make money? How do I put food on the table? And that is the big one. Let's face it, the majority of people out out there aren't specialist sales and marketing people. Most franchisees come into a franchise business because it's it's a brand that is built in a certain area and they feel they can build it in their area. They need to have that question answered very early on. And it's one of the things I find that is the biggest relief for people because I tell them, look, I'm not going to take on a franchisor who doesn't have the centralized marketing to actually develop a business in your area. They've got to be able to do that. Otherwise, I won't be involved with them. And that sigh of relief is palpable. I mean, you can tell that people say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not a specialist. And they're not. Like I say, you know, they've, they've left a job, they've borrowed some money, they've learned a new system or a new process. And then the franchisor says, and all you need to do is go on Google, Instagram or Facebook and do a bit of marketing. Well, you know, with the best will in the world, I pay a lot of money for digital marketing. It's not a skill I've got. It's not a skill many people have got. So why would a franchisee who's new, probably new to business be expected to be some sort of digital marketing specialist. So marketing is the massive one. Funding is another one. We always ensure that all of our brands are funded by the government startup loan. That is something we put in place right at the beginning. So we work with an excellent business called Smorgasbord. They actually put together profit and loss, cash flow, SWOT analysis, 
uh, a business plan. We submit that to the British Business Bank and we get the okay from them to say that we're, all the things that we put in there are correct. We work directly with Smorgasbord when the franchisee wants the loan. He talks to them, a consultant guides them through and they get the money. We also do other little things as well, slightly different. You know, a lot of people have never uh, registered a business. They're not registered for VAT with HMRC, done the money laundering checks. We usually get an accountant attached to the business who then works with the franchisees to do all the legal and financial stuff that, that most people don't understand, but it helps them. And it's another arm around them that says, we're going to help you through this process. Equally, with some of the businesses that are going to employ a lot of people, we'll have HR support. We'll have a line that they can call. So all the things that they're going to worry about, we, we answer those unasked questions because we know these are important things. You know, Even to the point where they've got to develop their own website and all that, we tell them exactly what we're going to do for them. And most of the time, all of those things satisfy them because... You know, like I say, most people are coming into self-employment for the first time and it's it's a big wrench, it's a big change and it's a perceived risk, of course it is. You know, and it's back to the old family and food on the table again. Without all those things wrapped around them, they feel vulnerable and I don't want them to feel vulnerable. I want them to feel excited and happy that what they're going to be doing is what they are trained to do and in the background finance, legal, sales, marketing, will be there running and working for them, not something they have to worry about. I suppose a lot of the unasked questions uh, are around processes of the franchise itself and that you work with the franchisors to sort of develop processes if they're not developed or just to get them written down <laughs> in the ops manual. Um is it important to let the franchisee know exactly what they'll be doing and what what's covered by the franchise franchisor? And is that a big question? Sort of asking franchisees or potential franchisees asking, what is it that exactly that I'm doing or what I'm responsible for? And do people get scared off by that list of list of things that they're gonna be doing? Or do they kind of appreciate a list of things? I, I think roles and responsibilities are key. Um we make sure that the roles for the franchisee are roles that are achievable because, again, you're getting back into the realms of accounting, marketing, all of these things. If there's some specific specialist uh, type of service that you need that needs to be bolted on, they need to know about it. We can't have people coming into franchises who suddenly have to start employing specialists in certain areas. So again, it's all about getting to know the business and the franchisor. And I spend a lot of time with the franchisors as we're building up towards launching to get a real understanding of, of their business. And, and it starts with a, with a day in the life of, and they do a brain dump. I ask them a load of daft questions. And eventually I get an understanding of what the business really is what it's like and what the external factors are that would affect a franchisee and also would affect the franchisor moving forward. You know, it's not just 
or for the franchisees. You know, I'm looking after the franchisors as well. But equally, I'm giving to both. You know, I'm not just there to sell franchises. And in fact, I say to all franchisors, the franchisees you don't take on for whatever reason are as important as the franchisees you do. Because, you know, one bad apple can cause mayhem on WhatsApp. So you've got to be careful of who you take on. It's not people with money in the back pocket that are the prime candidates for your franchise. It's got to be the people who are right and perfect, as perfect as it can be for your franchise. Yeah. Um, I suppose my thoughts on it is that Having spoken to a lot of the snag doctors, uh, their snag doctors are really good at defining roles for their franchisees and then giving them just like a couple of things that they have to do uh, to focus on um, and just allowing them to get on with the work. And and it leads to an environment where um, the snag doctors or the snag doctor technician or the franchisees that are doing the best are the ones that actually put in the most work because they've laid it out in a way that's so simple that they've got support when they need it they've got they know exactly what they're doing they may be doing one or two things they're doing snagging operations and then they're looking for leads but everything else is covered uh so i agree with you there the defining roles is is kind of huge um in that sense yeah, absolutely. I mean, Snag Doctor are a good example, but their whole business is around quality and detail of what they actually do, surface repair. But that goes all the way through their business and they are incredibly well set up. John is a, a fabulous details guy. He really does drill down to, to a point. And, and that's important for the franchisees because you know they understand exactly what they have to do when they have to do it. And there's no ambiguity. The more black and white there is, the better. Gray areas, which may sound great to have because we can, you can, we can make decisions or we can be flexible. In franchising, it doesn't work because it puts people in an invidious position often where they don't know if they should be doing something or not doing something. Give it them in black and white. It doesn't matter as long as they understand what their roles are, then they get on with doing what they're supposed to do. And, and that is vitally important. And it stops any legal wranglings. And that's why the, the operational manual is so important to update that. As things happen, use the operational man, manual in a way that improves the business, improves the network, and adds value to the network. And if you do that, then you know your network will grow and understand what you are doing for them. And I think Active Future is a real good example of that. They've got the processes down 100% to where, you know, a new franchisee comes on board and there's a complete process. There's people involved all along the way and they're getting them set up and they're getting them funded. And because it's because it's like a sort of um, assembly line that it's just this this happens, this happens, this happens. Here's, here's a big document of everyone that's had any experience in, in any part of the business and an answer to it. Because of that, they're able to actually satisfy the franchisees and they're able to grow the network extremely fast and, you know, uh, sort of head towards that big lofty goal. Yeah, the thing about Matt and his team at Active Future is like all good franchisors, they set themselves up as if they're a large organization. Everything's documented really well without the bureaucracy. I'm not 
saying that they, that they over-bureaucratize everything, that everything is laid out, all processes are defined. And if you start to do that from the start, it makes life a lot easier uh, for the franchisees because it, it's something that they can just look at and understand and it gives the support teams at Active Future and any of the others and Snag Doctor less less input because they're not getting asked the same question day after day after day. Yep. Um, and it all kind of reverts back to uh, these potential franchisees or people looking at franchising. They're not they're not in it because they want to be entrepreneurs. They're not people that want to sort of jump into the jump jump into something chaotic and potentially potentially that could you know they could lose a lot of money on there's statistics out there to show that entrepreneurs they don't always make it uh but with franchising it's kind of the opposite most franchises do make it uh so they they just want all the information i suppose um do you think that the videos of the testimonials and the and the client uh I suppose the uh, testimonials of the franchisees, do you think that that goes a long way towards pr- both proving that the franchise is successful and also giving the information to the directly to the potential franchisee? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it's the best thing that we can do to let the franchisees, the new franchisees, know what it's all about. It's like, you know, with Snag Doctor, I, I, I can tell everybody Snag Doctor is the best thing since sliced bread. John and Chris can say the same thing. But if the guy who bought the franchise nine months ago is also saying, look, it's the best thing since sliced bread and the training was this, we've earned this this amount of money, you know, our expectations have been exceeded, then getting that from one of your peers or somebody you're about to be working alongside or be part of the network is absolutely gold dust and it's very, very valuable. And I always impress upon the franchisors that you must put, you've got to put effort into all franchisees, but the early ones are where there's going to be the hiccups, there's going to be, you know, some bumpy roads. And if you can even all that out, then those guys are going to be your advocates for many years to come. And and there's no doubt that the acceleration of Snag Doctor over 25 franchisees in the first year is down to the fact that the early franchisees we took on are very, very... They've got a lot of great things to say about the business, how it's been run, how the training has been handled and everything else, and, and how supportive Chris and John are. And, and that's what people want to hear. Yeah, and one of the guys said exactly that in one of the videos, from talking to Mike to getting the loan to getting the accountants, the onboarding procedures, walking into our first job, he said we couldn't have asked for any more. And, and that's what it's about, you know. And although that's a perfect scenario, it's actually a true scenario. Uh, the reality is that's what we want for all franchisees. What benefits do you see to starting a franchise over starting uh, your own business? I think there's a, there's a number of benefits. I mean, statistically, a franchise is likely to be in business a lot longer than a startup business. If you look at the latest NatWest franchise survey, they will give you the exact figures and just go on Google. It's readily available. Uh, but you're starting with a, a brand. You're starting with something that's established in terms of, of process and what they actually do. And that often takes a long time to build up. 
And there are very few franchises that I represent at the moment that you could set up easily uh, and certainly not as effectively as they've done within a couple of years, maybe four or five years even. So, you know, although people say you don't get entrepreneurs in franchising, the reality is, I mean, take, for example, Snag Doctor, you know, a lot of those businesses will be million, if not multi-million pound businesses in their own right. So you can't say to me that's not entrepreneurial because they're building something up from scratch and using the Snag Doctor name, uh, but they're still building a business with lots of people working for them. So there's different levels of, of what you would call entrepreneurship, but it's the, it's the safer option. That's the absolute reality. And the problem is a lot of people look for new things to do, things that haven't been done before. The reality is there's very little of that around. And if you do find something, you've got to make it successful. And the great thing about franchising is, particularly if they've got the backing of the government startup loan, is that a lot of what you're looking at has been vetted. It's been, you can see the accounts of the franchise or you can understand how they've grown and what they've done, all the obstacles have overcome, which have been overcome for you as well. And you also get their collateral, their five-star reviews and everything else. So you start a business very much on the front foot and you don't have to do a lot of the toil that you would normally do starting a business from scratch. You mentioned that one of the franchises is quite cheap at, I think, something like 12500 Uh That might not be cheap to someone that doesn't have that much in the bank. Um, how, are the, how, how do people generally pay for these franchises? Funding at the moment is probably 90% through the government startup loan. The great thing about startup loan is that it's totally unsecured funding at 6%. Uh, there's no early redemption penalties. And the reality is that the high street banks have zero appetite for unsecured lending. So unless you're prepared to put your house on the line, then you're not going to get any money from the big six. Uh, but generally, the government and the startup loan from the British Business Bank, they're all about getting businesses started and employing people and getting tax revenues back from the pandemic. You know, that's the main reason. Um, but since they privatised it with a number of deli private delivery partners uh, looking after the loans, it's a very quick process. We're also very fortunate that we work directly with Smorgasbord, they are a specialist consultancy who are contracted to the British Business Bank and they work directly with our franchisees, having already put together the business plan, profit and loss, uh, SWOT analysis and all that sort of thing that the bank would want. They've done it professionally and then they input all the details of the relevant franchisee and, and literally guide them through the process. So without the funding, without the government funding at the moment, with the banks being so difficult, it, it would be hard work. But it gives the franchisees the chance to start a business where they wouldn't normally be able to do it. And unfortunately, not many people are aware that this funding is available. But we've had over 100 people through the funding now. We know it works very well. And, you know, it's easy to get to the funding and it's pretty quick. You know, we've had, we've had funding through in two to three weeks. And as long as you answer all the questions and get information back to our consumers, 
consultants, it, it can it can be no time at all. So if a franchisor is looking uh, to kind of grow his network to sell it, is that a possibility with uh, your consultancy? Absolutely. The, the one thing I discuss when, when I start talking to a, a franchisor is the exit strategy. It may seem a little strange, but it's really quite important. The, the whole way you run a business or the decisions that you make, if you know you're going to sell the business, uh, particularly maybe to a public company or a hedge fund, those decisions will be made very differently to a business that you're going to grow, keep, or pass on to to your children, whatever. So, yeah, it is important. And the great thing about franchise networks is that they are a source and possibly a never-ending source, depending on the business they're in, of recurring income. And recurring in- income in the investment world at the moment is much sought after. So there are many hedge funds set up in America, a few over here, that are actively looking constantly for franchise networks have been established. And it tends to be the blue-collar type franchise, the simple franchises, often the B2C, where you've got good recurring revenue streams from loyal customers such as cleaning, lawn care, that type of thing. Um, but any network that is a quality network that has that recurring income through management fees is very, very valuable. And we're talking at the moment anywhere between eight and 12 times EBITDA. So it's big business, big money, and a franchise network. It's not a no-cost way to to grow a business, but it's a very low-cost way once you've got a couple of franchisees under your belt. And the pot of gold at the end of it can be absolutely enormous. And you mentioned brands there. Uh, What's the brand value of a franchise in the beginning? And I suppose as it grows, does that brand value increase uh, as it it becomes a national franchise? Absolutely, massively, yeah. I mean, if you can get to the national franchise point of view, we're not just talking McDonald's and Subway, um, it does become incredibly valuable. I mean, we're talking about Snag Doctor at the moment. You know, eventually they will have nationwide uh, contracts with all the major house builders or the majority of the major house builders. Now, that puts them in a very significant position. It also puts them in an excellent position to expand internationally, which is always the option of any franchise if you've got a particularly good franchise with some really good USPs like Snag Doctor, certainly like uh, Active Future, uh, all those types people can certainly look at going into different markets uh, and there's there's different issues around that but you know again that's something we're happy to help people with so i i guess i'll finish with um if someone's interested in uh starting their starting a franchise uh how are they going to get in touch with you or what should they be doing or thinking about i think if you're looking to franchise your business i am more than happy to give you a very honest appraisal of where you are now, where you could be. I will also say to you, if I feel that your business isn't franchisable, because that's the important thing. Why would you want to waste money? 
doing something that isn't going to work. And it's a lot of money. So I'm always happy to advise totally free of charge and talk to people and give them an honest opinion. Um, and, you know, you won't get that off everybody in this industry, but you certainly will off me. Thanks for watching episode one of the podcast. If you watched it all the way till the end, thank you very much. Um, we'll be doing a lot more of these and I'm sure they'll improve the quality. The next podcast we'll be doing will be with Andy Henderson, talking about his franchise and everything that goes into starting a franchise. And that'll be out soon. Please subscribe and watch this space. Cheers.